Let's open our the Word of God and John. And I'm going to start reading John chapter 13. And that's, I don't know if you notice, but over the, the last couple of months, every single um, thing that we talked about uh, throughout these two months has been over the Gospel of John. And today is no exception. We're going to look at John chapter 13. Verse 1 reads, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things in his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from the supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with a towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon, Peter, And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Verse 7, Jesus answered and said to him, What am I doing, what I'm doing to to you, do not, what I'm doing you to not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, You have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him before he said, You are not all clean. Verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken their garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for I am, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And I read all that just so, so that we can get into the context of the verse that we're going to study, because Jesus knew that his time on earth was coming to an end. Jesus and his disciples were gathered in the upper room and Jesus was washing his disciples' feet. That is the context. That is what we just read. Try to imagine those tired feet, those dusty feet from the sandy roads of Palestine, those smelly and sweaty feet from the day's journey. And Jesus 
shows us the ultimate example of love. He kneels down and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. That's just not, it's uncomprehensible to us. Because when we do the service of humility, it's nothing compared to what Jesus did for his disciples. Knowing that his time was near, as the evening meal was in progress, Jesus turns to his disciples to offer word of comfort. It is within this context, in the biblical background, that Jesus utters these words of comfort to his disciples. Because if, you, if you're there with me in John chapter 13, and you notice that after verse 17 finishes, there's a section that happens there with the betrayal. But then within that same chapter is where you find the, the scripture reading for this morning. A new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, that phrase, a new command I give to you, would not have made sense for his disciples. For you see, the command to love was not new in itself. This command belonged to the instructions that God had given to Moses. You can read that in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. The injunction is also found in the Mishnah, which is the Jewish oral traditions, or the, also known as the oral Torah. So this new command was really not new. Therefore, the command to love was not new in the sense that they didn't know about it. For it had been passed from generation to generation. What is Jesus talking about? What is Jesus saying about a new command? The command was new in the sense that a new demonstration had been given of love. Which the disciples were commanded to emulate. You see, in the old command, enjoin men to love their neighbors as themselves. But this new command urged the disciples to love as Jesus loved. And that's the difference. John thirteen thirty four. A new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. The very word for love used in the original language in this text literally means keep on loving. If you love, keep on loving. Jesus repeats this phrase. If you notice, Verse 34, verse 35, Jesus repeats this phrase, love one another three times. And we have, as we have seen in weeks before, whenever Jesus repeats something more than once, it's because he's trying to give special emphasis to something. That is the moment when we open up our eyes and we realize, oh, hey, this is something important right here. Jesus is not wasting any time. He knows that he's about to be handed over. He knows that what it's about to unravel. He knows that his time is soon coming to an end. And he knows that the pain and the agony and the sacrifice that is to come. And just as the end is coming to an end, Jesus directs his words to his disciples. This is like a closing summary. 
This is like Jesus identifying who are his followers. And that is the context where this verse appears. The followers of the way. The disciples. And that's the reason why verse 35 begins with the, with the phrase, by, all, by this all will know. Because in ancient times, followers of great teachers and rabbis reflected the characteristics of their teachers. And so Jesus is saying, love one another as I have loved you. Love was one of the principal attributes of Jesus. His life had been a practical demonstration of love in action. He didn't just say that he loved us. He showed us that he loved us. Because it's easy to say that you love someone, but do we show it? It's love in action. A manifestation of the same kind of love by the disciples of Jesus would give evidence of the relationship and close association to their master. How do I identify, hey, hey, you, you're a follower of the way. You're a follower of the disciples of Jesus. How do I identify myself as being a follower of Jesus? Because I love. The identifying marker, if you will, of the followers of Jesus is identified by how we love one another. They aren't identified by how many homes they own. They're not identified by how much money they have in the bank. They're not identified by how many cars they have in their garage or if they have the latest iPhone or by how well they know their doctrines. The followers of Jesus are identified by how they love one another. Verse 35 literally ends in the original language with the words, keep on having love. Meaning constant fervent manifestations of love rather than isolated and fitful outbursts of terribleness. Those are the evidences of discipleship. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. That should mean something. I'm loving someone not as I want to love myself, but as he says, as I have loved you. But the problem is that we cannot love each other just as he loved us. Because our love is a human type of love. We love at a convenience. We love because we can get something out of a, a relationship. We love because the other person can give us something that we don't have. Our love is selfish. Our love is a human type of love. But to love one another as Jesus loved us, that's a divine type of love. That's a supernatural type of love. A type of love that loves even when someone hurts me. A type of love that doesn't judge a person by how they look. That is not critical to others. And doesn't participate in gossip that is going around the church. A type of love that loves even when people or someone says something about me that isn't true to ruin my reputation. It's a love that's gracious. It's a love that's kind. It's a love that's unselfish. It's a divine type of love. 
As followers of Jesus, He's calling us to live and embody that type of love with one another. That is the whole purpose of why we come here. That is the whole purpose of why we worship Him. That is the whole purpose of why we are called followers of Jesus. But in our first century American individualistic social and cultural perspective, how does that look for me today? How do the teachings of Jesus, the rabbi of Nazareth, respond in a pragmatic way in my life that I can adopt them? Maybe it looks something like this. When I come to church in the morning and I see that someone is not here, I check on them. I call them. I send them a text. I ask if they're okay. I have no indifference in my heart. I don't wait four or six weeks to pass by without checking on my brother and my sister. I move right away in love and kindness and acceptance. If I learn that someone is in need, I move towards them in grace. Because we're all truly a family. And that needs to transcend beyond these four walls. But in order for that to happen, we have to be rooted and connected to Him. If all they say and see is just me, then I have lost my way. They must see Jesus, the ultimate source of divine love. As followers of Jesus, love is our permanent power. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. And author Ellen White says that love is not simply an impulse. It's a transitory emotion dependent upon circumstance. It is a living principle, a permanent power. The soul is fed by the streams of pure love that flows from the heart of Christ as a wellspring that never fails. And listen to this. Under the education and discipline of the Holy Spirit, if we are sensitive to listen to His voice, the children of God love one another truly, sincerely, unaffectively, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. And this is because the heart is in love with Jesus. Our affection for one another springs from the common relation to God. We are one family. We are one uh, and we love one another. I don't know if you heard that song. Um, we are, uh, I don't know what's the title in English. But in, in Spanish, it, it's we are all a family, the family of God. Man, the lyrics of that word, of that song, really speak to me. The only way that we can love as Jesus loved us is when we have Jesus in our hearts. We cannot give what we don't have. If Jesus lives in me, then His love will flow from me to others. 
If we have Jesus living in us, then our human love will be transformed into a divine type of love. The way of Jesus, the way that He loved, will manifest at all times and in all places by kind words and pleasant looks. What a difference does it make when you're coming through those doors and you see someone that is smiling at you. It makes all the difference in the world because the, 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 week, the, the week has been difficult, has been heavy. And, and it, it, you're just going through so much. And when you're going through those doors and you see someone that there is greeting you and smiling at you, it just makes you feel a lot better. The way of Jesus, the way that He loved, involves kind words and pleasant looks. That's the reason why the Apostle Paul could say in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. God didn't only say that He loved us, but He sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you and for me. Showing the ultimate love towards us. It's not like the Father had many sons. He only had one son. And He gave that for you and for me. Author Ellen White says that Christ's love is so deep and earnest, flowing like an irresistible steam to all who will accept it. It will lead us to bestow little acts of attention and to make concessions, to perform deeds of kindness, to speak tender, true, encouraging words. It will lead us to sympathize with those hearts who hunger for sympathy. Because let me tell you, there's a lot of people, as Sharon was talking about, not just with fear, but little acts of kindness will go a long way. If we can show Jesus to others, if people can see Jesus in us, and I don't know about you, but I want to love as Jesus loved. I want to show others His love. I think the greatest gift that a pastor can give to their congregation is their ongoing Christ-like transformation. Every day, growing in Jesus, growing in love. That's when people, you know, when people walk through those doors, new people walk through those doors in our church, we want them to feel loved. We want them to feel that God is embracing them and calling them and saying, you're home. Because of the love and acceptance that I have shown them. So church, my message today is simple. Let's love as Jesus loved. And before I conclude, I I just will make a short disclosure as we continue into the next part of the service and then Bernard will give some announcements into how we will proceed for the next uh, part of the program. But I just wanted to let everybody know that the Seventh-day Adventist Church practices opening, open communion. All who have committed their lives to their Savior may participate. 
by partaking of the Lord's Supper, the broken bread and the fruit of the vine, we show forth the, the Lord's death until He comes. When we participate, the scenes of His sufferings and death are brought fresh into our minds. We, as we receive the bread and the wine symbolizing Christ's broken body and spilled blood, finally, the communion service points us to Christ's second coming keeping it fresh in our minds, the hope that He will soon come to take us home. Will you join us as we proceed with the service of humility? Let's bow our heads for a moment. Heavenly Father, thank you for this privilege of meditation on your marvelous and amazing sacrifice beyond our comprehension for your life, for your death, your resurrection, and your coming. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says, For I have received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. At this moment, those who are able, we're going to kneel and we're going to pray for the bread. Dear Heavenly Father, at this moment we just want to acknowledge the great sacrifice that you did for each and every one of us. Your broken body, Father. They gave us redemption and salvation. And because of you, we have hope that one day, soon and very soon, you will come to take us home. And so, Lord, At this moment, we just want to take time to remember what this symbolizes and what you have done for us. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and said, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We may participate. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is my new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whatever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As far as possible, let us kneel for the prayer over the fruit of the vine. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of remembrance of your marvelous and amazing sacrifice and this fruit of the vine representing your spilt blood for us beyond our comprehension. We praise you and thank you. Through the blood of Jesus, we have received the gift of eternal life. We thank you in his precious name. Amen.
same way. He took the cup, saying, This cup is my new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We may participate. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your great sacrifice of love towards us. Thank you, love, thank you, Lord, that you do great things in our lives each and every day. And so, Lord, this day is a celebration because this day marks one day closer to your second coming to us. So, Lord, help us to be rejoiced and happy in community, knowing that you will soon come for us. Thank you for all that you do, and all these things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.